Hi, welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 30, He Lives. I'm really excited for this week because we get to, instead of focusing on a section, which I also love doing, but it's kind of a nice breakup that we, on Easter week, get to focus on Easter. So let's dive right in. What do we know about resurrection? Just really quickly as a recap, resurrection is the reuniting of the spirit body with the physical body of flesh and bones after death. After resurrection, the spirit and body will never again be separated and the person will become immortal. Every person born on earth will be resurrected because Jesus Christ overcame death. So we also know through scripture that Although every single person who has ever lived on the earth will be resurrected, there's a difference between becoming immortal and having eternal life. Eternal life is defined as living the quality of life that our Father in Heaven lives. So depending on what we do with our mortal probation here on earth, we will all be resurrected to a different level of glory depending on what we did with that time. And we talked more about that last week. So if you want a recap of that, go to last week's episode and we talked some more about that. And actually, speaking of last week's episode, I actually left out the fourth resurrection, which is when the sons of perdition come forth and are are judged. All right. So I love this um, BYU devotional talk that I found by Sterling W. Sill, and it's called Resurrection. And In here, he describes the 40 days after Christ's resurrection, and I think it's such a cool illustration and something for us to think about and apply to ourselves. He says, During the next 40 days, the resurrected Jesus ministered among the people. He talked with them, ate with them, and manifested his person unto them. On one occasion, he appeared to 10 of the 12 in a room in Jerusalem. When he appeared in their midst, they were terrified and affrighted, as though they supposed they had seen a spirit. But Jesus said unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of an honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. On this occasion, Thomas was absent, and when they told him they had seen the Lord, that he was alive and had been resurrected, Thomas said that he would not believe unless he could see for himself. Eight days later, the Lord appeared to them again when Thomas was present and invited Thomas to come and make an intimate inspection of his person and feel the nail holes and put his hands in his side and be no more faithless but believing. After a great exclamation of belief, the Lord said unto Thomas, Because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. I love how he describes that. We have an opportunity to be like the latter that Christ spoke of here. We are some of they that have not seen and yet have believed. I want to reflect on the song, I Know That My Redeemer Lives. Do you know that your Redeemer lives? Now, know is a tricky word, and I've struggled with that word with my oldest daughter before, where she says, how do I know if I know? I don't know if I know. And I think we've all struggled with that to some degree. I think a lot of us have pieces of our faith that we might qualify as knowledge, and I think all of us have areas in our testimonies also 
that we need to work on. In talking about faith and knowledge, I've been thinking about one of my favorite famous chapters in the Book of Mormon, Alma 32. And I always think about it this time of year because my mom, every time, right around this time of year, sends me my yearly daffodil letter in the mail. On the last Thursday of every February, she drives around in Missouri looking for the first daffodils popping up. And she picks bouquets of them, and she collects a flower for each one of us. They represent faith to her, and as she drives out, she knows that they will be there every year without fail. And she knows that they will be there because they always are. And then she sends all of my siblings a letter with a pressed daffodil and some thought about Alma 32. So we're going to read a little bit of Alma 32, starting in verse 28 and then skipping some verses. So I'll kind of be skipping around. Now we will compare the word unto a seed. Now if ye give place that a seed may be planted in your heart, behold, if it be a true seed or a good seed, if ye do not cast it out by your unbelief that ye will resist the spirit of the Lord, behold, it will begin to swell within your breasts. And when you feel these swelling motions, you will begin to say within yourselves, it must needs be that this is a good seed or that the word is good for it beginneth to enlarge my soul. Yea, it beginneth to enlighten my understanding. Yea, it beginneth to be delicious to me. And now behold, because ye have tried the experiment, and planted the seed, and it swelleth and sprouteth, and beginneth to grow, ye must needs know that the seed is good. And now behold, is your knowledge perfect? Yea, your knowledge is perfect in that thing, and your faith is dormant. And this because you know, for ye know that the word hath swelled your souls, and ye also know that it hath sprouted up, and your understanding doth begin to be enlightened, and your mind doth begin to expand. Oh, then, is this not real? I say unto you, yea, because it is light, and whatsoever is light is good, because it is discernible. Therefore ye must know that it is good. And now behold, after ye have tasted this light, is your knowledge perfect. Behold, I say unto you, nay, neither must ye lay aside your faith, for ye have only exercised your faith to plant the seed, that ye might try the experiment to know if the seed was good. Every time I read that, I just think, man, Alma 32 is just the answer to all the things. Anytime you're struggling, that's always a good one to go to. All right, so if you struggle with the phrase, I know that my Redeemer lives, if you don't feel that you know, or maybe part of you knows, but the other part of you struggles with it sometimes, if you don't feel you know he lives, follow the pattern in Alma 32. Plant his word in your hearts. Feel it begin to swell, nourish it by your faith, and it will become a tree springing up in you unto everlasting life. All right, so all those thoughts were about the question, do you know that your Redeemer lives? Now, in my own head, I feel like there can be separate categories of faith. Like, do you know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you know that he lived and died for you? But how often do we ponder our surety in the knowledge that we know he lives, like you could touch him, see him, hear him, if he were physically with you right now, that he communicates actively with us and with President Nelson, that he is in reality a physical being leading the church? Will we be like Thomas and not believe till we see? Or will we be like the blessed that Jesus spoke about when he said, Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. 
So I want to talk more about the rest of the song, I Know My Redeemer Lives. It talks about a bunch of beautiful reasons that his resurrection matters to us. It talks about the reasons he lives and that we are the purpose and focus of his life. He lives to fulfill the promises that he has made to the house of Israel. And who is covenant Israel? Nephi tells us in 2 Nephi chapter 30, verse 2, For behold, I say unto you that as many of the Gentiles will repent are the covenant people of the Lord. So if we hear his voice and repent, we qualify as covenant Israel. Let's listen to some of the many promises made to those who fall into that righteous category. He lives to bless me with his love. When talking to an angel in Nephi's vision of the tree of life, it says, And I answered him, saying, Yea, it is the love of God which sheddeth itself abroad in the hearts of the children of men. Wherefore, it is the most desirable above all things. And he spake unto me, saying, Yea, the most joyous to the soul. Next, he pleads for me above. D&C 45.3 Listen to him who is the advocate with the Father, who is pleading your cause before him. He lives my hungry soul to feed. 3 Nephi chapter 12, verse 6. And blessed are all they who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. He lives to bless in time of need. 3 Nephi 24:10. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open unto you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. He lives to grant me rich supply. Deuteronomy 28.2 And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee. He lives to guide me with his eye. D&C 109.22 Thy servants may go forth from this house armed with thy power, that thy name may be upon them, that thy glory be round about them, and thine angels have charge over them. He lives to comfort me when faint. Revelation 7.17 God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. He lives to hear my soul's complaint. Alma 34.18 Yea, cry unto him for mercy, for he is mighty to save. He lives to silence all my fears. Psalms 46.10 Be still and know that I am God. He lives to wipe away my tears. D&C 101.14, and all they who have mourned shall be comforted. He lives to calm my troubled heart. D&C 100 verse 15, therefore let your hearts be comforted, for all things shall work together for good to them that walk uprightly. He lives all blessings to impart. D&C 78.18, and ye cannot bear all things now. Nevertheless, be of good cheer, for I will lead you along. The kingdom is yours, and the blessings thereof are yours, and the riches of eternity are yours. He lives and loves me to the end. D&C 95.1 Verily thus saith the Lord unto you whom I love, and whom I love I also chasten, that their sins may be forgiven. For with the chastisement I prepare a way for their deliverance in all things out of temptation, and I have loved you. He lives and grants me daily breath. D&C 2943, And thus did I, the Lord God, appoint unto man the days of his probation, that by his natural death he might be raised in immortality unto eternal life, even as many as would believe. He lives, and I shall conquer death. He lives my mansion to prepare. 
Enos one twenty seven, and I soon go to the place of my rest, which is with my Redeemer, for I know that in him I shall rest, and I rejoice in the day when my mortal shall put on immortality and shall stand before him, and then I shall see his face with pleasure, and he will say unto me, Come unto me, ye blessed. There is a place prepared for you in the mansions of my Father. Amen. He lives to bring me safely there. Alma 34.16 And thus mercy can satisfy the demands of justice and encircles them in the arms of safety. Believing in the resurrected Lord doesn't just mean to believe in Him. It means to believe Him. Believe all that He has told us that He will do. Believe that He is mighty to save Even you, even if you feel like you've gone too far and done too much, believe him when he says your sins can be forgiven. Don't cling on to them, allowing them to weigh you down. Let him take those from you and move forward. Believe him when he tells you that all you need in life to be filled is to love God with all your might, mind, and strength, and everything else will follow after that. Believe him when he says to lay your burdens on him, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Believe him when he says that he will guide you to where you need to be and what you need to say and do. Believe him when he says that he hears you and knows you and will succor you. Believe him when he says that he has all things under control, that all things, seemingly good or bad, will be for our good and for the good of his purposes. Believe him when he tells you that your potential is great, that through a small and simple person like you, great things can come to pass. Believe him because all his promises will come true, including that you and your family will be resurrected and live forever. And that will happen because Christ rose from the dead and became a perfect resurrected being. Going back to Sterling Sills' talk, He says, the other night I reread an old Grecian tragedy about the fall of Athens. You may remember that a Roman general had captured an Athenian philosopher, and he told the Athenian that he meant to put him to death. But because the Athenian didn't seem very disturbed, the Roman thought that he probably didn't understand. So the Roman said to the Athenian that maybe he didn't know what it meant to die. But the Athenian thought that he understood it better than the Roman did. And then he said to the Roman, Thou dost not know what it means to die, for thou dost not know what it means to live. To die is to begin to live. It is to end all stale and weary work, to begin a nobler and a better. It is to leave deceitful knaves for the society of gods and goodness. The purpose of our mortal life is to teach us how to live eternally. That is also the primary concern of God himself and the purpose of the resurrection. If death of the body forever ended all there is of human life and personality, then the universe would be throwing away with utter heedlessness its most precious possession. A reasonable person does not build a violin with infinite care, gathering the materials and shaping the body of it so that it can play the compositions of the masters, and then, by some capricious whim, smash it to bits. Neither does God create this great masterpiece of human life, and then, when it has just begun to live, throw it utterly away. So often we speak of being created in the image of God. President Thomas S. Monson reminds us when he said, Last of all, he created man in his own image, male and female, with dominion over other living things. 
Man alone received intelligence, a brain, a mind, and a soul. Man alone with these attributes had the capacity for faith and hope and for inspiration and ambition. Who could persuasively argue that man, the noblest work of the grand designer, with dominion over all living things, with a brain and a will, with a mind and a soul, with intelligence and divinity, should come to an end when the spirit forsakes its earthly temple? We were created in the image of God, and we are still in the midst of that creation. The whole purpose of mortality is to continue that creation. Elder Holland beautifully describes the most perfect example we have of how we can participate with our agency to allow the continuation of that creation. He says, After generations of prophets had tried to teach the family of man the will and the way of the Father, usually with little success, God, in his ultimate effort to have us know him, sent to earth his only begotten and perfect Son, created in his very likeness and image, to live and serve among mortals in the everyday rigors of life. To come to earth with such a responsibility to stand in the place of Elohim, speaking as he would speak, judging and serving, loving and warning, forbearing and forgiving as he would do. This is a duty of such staggering proportions that you and I cannot comprehend such a thing. But in the loyalty and determination that would be characteristic of a divine child, Jesus could comprehend it, and he did it. Then, when the praise and honor began to come, he humbly directed all adulation to the Father. The Father doeth the works, he said in earnest. The Son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever the Father doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. And on another occasion he said, I speak that which I have seen of my Father. I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me. I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. So as we are here, still in our mortal bodies, the best thing that we can do is to try to be like Jesus. All praise and honor in every aspect of our lives and in what we are asked to do to further the work of the Father, all of that is His. All praise and honor to the Father. For us to work toward the perfect humility of the Savior and say and truly feel, I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me. And he knows that all that trying is continuing the work of creating us in his image. And one day, because of the day that we are celebrating this week, because of Easter, we have the opportunity to rise with a perfect immortal body, continuing that creation till we are like he is. There is no end. And it is because he lives. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.